month. Uh, before we get into our time of, uh, of, uh, of uh, digging into the Word, uh, again, this, uh, those of you that are watching online will notice that um, the perspective is different. The picture is a little different. Uh, we're no longer using a cell phone. We're working with a camera. Um, and you may notice uh, a bit of a hum in the system, an uh, audio hum. And uh, we would appreciate it. We've tried to get rid of it entirely. Uh, but uh, those, if you're watching online, uh, if, if you find it annoying, would you please contact us here at the church? Uh, you can find uh, contact information on our sermon audio page. And uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. Let, tell us uh, how it comes across. And if we need to make some further adjustments, we'll make that effort. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Samuel once again. 1 Samuel, chapter 21, as we move on into the next portion of David's journey into, it's not quite exile, but uh, more of a, a journey of escape and trying to uh, just keep himself in one piece as he waits upon the Lord for the time when he would be exalted to the throne. We're in chapter 21. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. And I would invite you, please, to stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word. Hold that thought for just a second. our usual worship leader gone to get all of the push all the buttons right I want to make sure we have that recording going all right first Samuel first Samuel 21 verses 1 through 9 then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him why are you alone and no one with you and David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, let, <clears throat> let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women, And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before, the, uh, before Yahweh to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before Yahweh. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, uh, uh, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, Behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. 
give it to me. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. Well, in the age of chivalry, when a knight wished to challenge someone, he would remove a glove called a gauntlet, and he would cast it at the feet of his desired opponent. Hence, to throw down the gauntlet, saying you've probably heard before, became a metaphor for challenging someone to a fight. And often, of course, at that time, um, and even in our own day, even though we don't necessarily throw gloves at people anymore, uh, sometimes these challenges, often, uh, these challenges are deliberate. They are intentional. But there can be times when gauntlets can be thrown unintentionally through our carelessness, through just not thinking through some things really well, or just sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, just being oblivious um, and and our, our actions can be misunderstood and taken as a challenge. But the results of a fight... Uh, are often the same, whether it was intentional or not. Now, in this passage today, David essentially throws down the gauntlet to Saul. Though it's not clear from this passage whether or not he intended to do so. In fact, this passage, I was talking uh, with uh, Brother Bob earlier, this passage is filled with things that make you go why why did he do that what what is going on here what is behind all of this and trying to put it all together uh, is a bit of a challenge so we're going to do our best to walk through that it's apparent from the things that would happen after this as David's running around trying to get out of Saul's way and avoid a conflict that he he has no desire to destroy Saul. In fact, he's, we'll see, and you, I'm sure you already know, I mean, he goes out of his way to prevent his soldiers from killing Saul when they had the opportunity. He would not lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. So we're going to operate on the assumption that he did not intend to issue a challenge by his actions here, though that is exactly how those actions would have been perceived by Saul. You know, on the the plus side, David is trying to avoid conflict, but uh, David, in my view, makes some mistakes here, some tactical errors that uh, tend to make things a little bit worse. We're going to try to learn from those things as we go along. When you and I are trying to handle conflict, whether great or small, we need to be doing so very carefully. It's e- there's all kinds of, of, of avenues for conflict to take place. Many of them are legitimate. Sometimes the conflict needs to happen. There's going to be a difference of opinion, and more than a difference of opinion, just a difference of whether something is right or wrong or not in the, in the, the scheme of God's standards of right and wrong, and what is evil needs to be withstood. 
But you need to be cautious about what you do when you're trying to handle that because you may just end up making things worse. And that is really the case here with David who for all of his experience on the battlefield was not really careful in his dealings here at Nob with uh, some pretty disastrous effects not only for himself but for others down the road which we'll see eventually as we go along. Yeah, he was trying to avoid conflict by scooting away, but uh, he ended up kind of blowing it, I think, in a few ways. First of all, David seems to be motivated by fear. Now, we saw that in the last passage. It specifically uh, stated that, that he was afraid, and so he fled. So f- we know that fear was part of this. Yeah, fear for his life, perhaps fear for his for his wife and and fear for others his family perhaps um, it doesn't we don't read here um, any specific uh, elements of what he was uh, what he was afraid of but I I think we can surmise a few things from his actions here he was uh, his actions here betray that he was afraid of being discovered he was afraid of being hungry and he was afraid of being defenseless. Those are powerful, motivating fears. That if we're not careful, those fears can cause us to do things that we might not otherwise do. And we're in the midst of conflict. Uh, the, the ramifications of that fear and the actions that come from it are magnified. Another way that David uh, seems to have blown it and again, not a lot of details here, but you notice there, it just kind of stuck in the narrative in the middle of this on verse 7. We read of this guy named Doeg. He was an Edomite. In other words, a descendant of Esau. Uh, a nation condemned before uh, by God because of the way Edom had treated Israel and taken advantage when Israel was at a vulnerable point and had attacked them and so on didn't come to help them when they needed it and um, I've been reading in Ezekiel lately and there's a, quite a bit about Edom and God's judgment upon Edom because of their their mistreatment of their their brethren in Israel David didn't pay enough attention to who was there perhaps I just kind of back up a little bit the whole setting is really rather rather remarkable when you start putting it all together the geography plays a little bit of a role here remember David had fled from Gibeah which is about 8 miles or so north of Jerusalem Uh, Gibeah is where Saul had his court and he fled north about 2 miles to the town of Ramah to meet with Samuel so he's only going 2 miles away that's a 30 minute walk Saul, goes, Saul sends a bunch of people up there and Saul eventually goes up himself gets detained there by the Holy Spirit David, David flees goes back to Gibeah meets with Jonathan talks to Jonathan about all their plans we went through all of that talked about it and then uh, they go through um uh, everything that's there David flees again 
This time he goes to Nob. Nob is about halfway between Gibeah and Jerusalem, uh, kind of up in the foothills a little bit. And uh, it's where the tabernacle had been placed. It was a priestly city. So that's why they chose it. Remember, Jerusalem hadn't been conquered yet. Jerusalem as such wasn't Jerusalem, it was Jebus. The Jebusites lived there. Anyway, it goes to Nob, which is about four miles away. Okay, an hour walk. It's only an hour away. When you think about that, and what David is asking for, and the excuses that he gives for asking him, is it any wonder that Ahimelech is looking at this guy who is the champion, the leader of the armies of Saul, who shows up by himself, the young men had been were kept off in another place, that whatever young men were with him, we're not told where they came from, but Christ affirms in the Gospel of Matthew, which we'll see in a little bit, that the young men were there. Don't know how many there were. With him asking five loaves of bread, probably not too many of them. But in any case, he's only four miles from home. He's already been in Gibeah. Why didn't he go home? Why didn't he get some food there? Why did he go to the tabernacle? Why, why, why? Uh, if, if he was a day's journey from some of these places, you could kind of maybe understand it, but just a two to four miles away, I think... Ahimelech is looking at this going something doesn't something doesn't smell right here. Ahimelech, Ahimelech comes and he's trembling. And and I got to thinking about that. Ahimelech's the high priest, man of high position and power. Can you fathom why the high priest would be afraid of Saul's champion what does that tell you about Saul's reign and what people were thinking about Saul David's com- David very likely his coming would have looked to Ahimelech like um, he was coming to do Ahimelech harm um, even though he doesn't have any weapons. So he's trying to figure out what's going Why are you here? Why are you on your own? And so David shows up. Why doesn't he recognize that this is all looking rather fishy? I think he does look because of what he's going to say. But he's not paying a lot of attention. What in the world is the head of Saul's herdsman doing there? Who's not even an Israelite you would think that David would go up. Well, Ahimelech, I was just passing by. Nice to see you. And then wait till Doeg leaves. I don't know why he doesn't do that. But there's someone else that he was not paying a lot of attention to. And it's brought out by a couple of phrases that I find very interesting. Where um, you have the comment about uh, the bread. Uh, the uh, the uh, verse Verse 6. The bread which is removed from before the Lord. And then in verse 7, you have the same phrase regarding uh, Doeg, who was detained before the Lord, detained before Yahweh. What does that mean? 
We're not told why he was there, but the Lord, I believe, that what this means is that the Lord sovereignly intervened to make sure that Doeg was there. And I don't know why. I have no idea why, particularly in light of what Doeg is going to do later. This is a transitional passage. It's laying foundation for, for things that are going to take place later on in the story. We're going to know this is the seed of them, where, the, where those things came from. This is part of being cautious. We, we, we go through our lives and we, we take pragmatic um, approaches to try to solve problems and deal with things. And it's difficult, is it not, to anticipate the ripple effects of the actions that we take. The, you know, what happens downstream from those words that we say or those choices that we make. David is thinking in the moment. At the very least, that's what he's doing. And he seems like he's making it up as he goes along. And I guess you, that makes a little bit of sense if you've only got an hour to think about it before you get someplace uh, probably haven't thought through it really carefully and David's just kind of thinking well maybe Doeg's a herdsman he's a servant he's been in the court he's used to thinking that way maybe he's just dismissive of this guy but the other person that he's not really being too aware of is the fact that he is before Yahweh He's gone, he's gone to the tabernacle, the place where God says he's going to dwell. And in the Lord's presence, he's doing and saying some of these things. And, you know, it's tempting to look at that and go, go David, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? How could you do that? How could you be, frankly, that stupid to say those things? And then we go and look in the mirror and go, oh yeah, <laughs> We can do the same thing, can we not? We need to be aware that the Lord is present everywhere. A third area of what I see as failure here is that he had not made adequate preparation for the journey. He's getting ready to run. He leaves all his weapons at home. He doesn't bring any food with him. He's apparently rounded up a few friends. I don't know if they don't have weapons or if they do. We don't know anything about that. But he certainly doesn't. He is not prepared. And I ask myself, well, why hadn't he picked up the weapons and food when he was in Gibeah? Saul was away. Saul was up up, uh, there with Samuel, um, (laughs) distracted by the Holy Spirit's coming upon him and he's prophesying and all those things David had a window there I don't know whether he was worried still that his house might be watched worried about his family perhaps I don't know perhaps that's that fear thing again Um, but nonetheless uh, certainly he had other friends he had other places to go on he could have picked these things up but he was just in a mad rush to get away you know, it's admirable that David's trying to avoid conflict. And part of it appears to be a, from a self-preservation sort of thing. But at the same time, it's admirable that he did that. But you know, sometimes we need to pay a little bit more attention and make some adequate preparation for what the Lord is calling us to do. And if it's about 
avoiding a problem or dealing with a problem in a particular way, it takes some thought. Um, shooting from the hip, uh, probably not a good idea. There's another thing here that, and this one's a little tricky. The whole thing with the holy bread, the bread of the presence. Who is supposed to eat that? The only ones who are supposed to eat that. The priest. That was it. Um, and only after it was a day old, and when it was replaced with the fresh bread. Twelve loaves, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit, um, were made every day. Uh, perhaps he went there um, thinking that maybe the day-old bread uh, would be on sale. <laughs> you know, uh, do, do they still do that anymore? In some, maybe some of the big cities, these, some of the bakeries would have their outlets, you know, and you could go buy day-old bread for really cheap. We used to do that all the time when I was a kid. I used to go and love getting the donuts, especially. Um, Maybe that's where I got my desire to be a police officer. I don't know. Anyway. So, David, though, knows fully well the Mosaic Code. But he accepts the bread anyway. He accepts the bread anyway. Now, yes, the high priest made the decision and said it was okay. But um, I think personally, and again, we're going to nuance this a little bit in a few minutes, but I, I see that as a bit of a problem on the surface of it. Though, again, there's, the Lord Jesus legitimizes it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I don't think David was thinking about that uh, at the moment. He was thinking about, we need food. Um, the last uh, thing that I have here, I don't really think that he grasped the significance and the potential consequences of his actions. Or if he did, he cared more about his objectives than he did about the potential consequences. So th those are some ways uh, that David blew it, I think, in some ways. Um, and And... Those issued forth into some actions that uh, we're going to talk about here now. <clears throat> Look at verse 2. David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with, with, with which I have charged you. <clears throat> had Saul given David a commission to go do anything, secret or otherwise? No, he had not. So this is just a bald-faced lie. Now, <clears throat> Ahimelech clearly, again, thought that this was very strange. There are other things that David could have said. Um, I'm on a journey. I was in a hurry. I just I left home without packing. Can you help me out? Simple as that. But he... He's really working to legitimize his actions um, in Ahimelech's eyes. Whether he, we're not told anything about David's prior knowledge of Ahimelech, what kind of relationship they had, if any. We don't know anything about that. But what we do know is that David recognized he's the man to go to. So at least he's going to 
the right person to talk to there at the tabernacle. But he tells this lie. Generally speaking, saying that a commonly recognized authority gave you a green light when it when it actually didn't is not going to end well. Sooner or later, somebody's going to say to Saul, did you? No. Ah. It's just not going to work well. This kind of thing um, is fairly frequent among evangelicals and others as well. For example, many people claim that God is on their side and has told them to do things that he has absolutely nothing to do with. God told me to go do this. God told me to do that. God told me to do this, that, or the other thing that is contrary to what he says in his word. People use God all the time to justify sin. All that's doing is using his name in vain. And when they do that, it is just like David's doing here. David's trying to justify what, they want to, what he wants to do. We often can do the same thing when we say to others when we want to sin when we want to do those things that God has forbidden in his word or warned against in his word nevertheless God told me that's why you probably noticed you probably noticed that that's a phrase that we don't use very often around here unless it says God told me in his word but we don't say, well, the Lord told me that I should go do this, that, or the other. The Lord has told us what He wants us to do and how He wants us to live in His Word. Now there are impressions and so on that can come on our minds uh, and so on. As and, and there will be more of those kinds of things. The more familiar we are with His Word and how He thinks, we'll have a much better idea of what the Lord might actually want us to do and what, how He wants us to think and what he might want us to say. But to get extra biblical God telling me, uh, we don't really uh, uh, think that that's a proper way to go. And the principle is the same here. We see David saying, well, Saul told me this. And Saul didn't say anything of the kind. Um, Again, there were other things he could have said. But in general, here's a lesson that we can learn from David here. Be careful about what uh, authority you claim for your actions. I mean, if, if it's something you want to do, just be, be honest enough to say, well, I want to do this. <laughs> and then uh, be prepared for somebody to tell you that it's wrong, if it is or uh, it needs to be revised if it needs to be or whatever uh, but be careful about claiming uh, authority that you don't really have again this this lie to Ahimelech which is going to though Ahimelech still may have in his mind been going well he could have stopped here why, why is it so close why didn't he do both but Ahimelech goes with it and believes him um either because of his own understanding of who David is or well if the king said it I got to do it I, I get why David does this I don't know is, is he trying to give Ahimelech 
um, uh, th that phrase plausible deniability is he trying to protect Ahimelech by this lie well it doesn't work it doesn't work and later on we're going to see how badly it doesn't work when Saul comes and confronts Ahimelech as to why Ahimelech did what he did so this, this didn't work at all uh, a second area to be careful about when you're involved in conflict and trying to deal with it is to be careful about how you handle holy things. And this is this is a kind of similar idea to what we were just talking about in using God's name. But specifically, a couple of things here. David goes to the tabernacle for a particular reason. problem is is it's not to worship he goes there to obtain you know when we're dealing with conflict and we want help we can kind of use holy things like a good luck charm a talisman if I'm just doing the right things God will come through for me I'm going to go to the tabernacle because I've got a pretty good idea I can get some food there. That's what he wants. And hoping that there's a weapon. He wants food and weapons. Um, we'll talk more about the weapon thing in a minute. But as far as the food goes, there were any number of places where David could have stopped and asked for food along the way. But he went to the tabernacle, whether he thought it was going to be a safe place or whether he thought that, well, if I stop in a a village or some place and I go to home I might get a loaf or something but I've got a group to feed so maybe there's more at the tabernacle uh, perhaps why we're not told but he's he didn't go there to worship he went there to obtain if you're just coming to church to obtain something to obtain connections to obtain good feelings to obtain um, a, 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 you know a, a salve to a guilty conscience just because you showed up you're coming for the wrong reasons. We need to be coming into the Lord's presence to worship Him and trust Him then to provide for us as and when He will. I don't know. I, 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 I think that He was focused on the food aspect. I hope He wasn't just trying to give this visible impression that Yahweh was on his side because David was going to the tabernacle. Remember, he'd gone to Samuel first, and then he goes to the tabernacle. He's certainly looking for help among uh, those who claim to be the faithful servants of Yahweh. But that's not the same thing as worshiping Yahweh yourself. And I think David did not handle this really well. If you're in the middle of a conflict, whether you're having to confront somebody, something or someone, or you're trying to avoid the conflict, uh, when you come to the church, when you open your scriptures, don't just come and open with the idea of, I want to see what I can get out of this. You ever heard people talk about, well, I've read my Bible, but I don't really seem to get a lot out of it. Maybe we've even used that phrase yourself. We have that kind of mentality sometimes. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I read my Bible every day, but I don't, 
I really don't get much out of it. I mean, okay, you know, maybe I get the story or whatever else, but I don't really feel like I'm connecting with the Lord. I just, well, and it could very well be that you're going to it hoping that just as long as I read this, God's going to make my life better. God's going to fix that problem. Because I'm reading my Bible every day. Because I, because I pray some every day because I go to church. That's not handling the holy things well. We need to recognize that when we're coming into the presence of a holy God, we need to um, be more than those that are just coming for a handout. We're coming to engage in relationship. And David isn't taking the time to do that. He's just on a mission and he... His, his his mind is going about how how I can get her get as far away from Saul as possible. I need some provisions. I need need a weapon. I need to go. I, I need. I need. It's like, slow down, David, and remember to worship God. Also, be careful in those holy things. This has to do with the holy bread. He took that holy bread that's contrary to Mosaic law. Now, there is. I I believe that David is being truthful when Ahimelech says, are the young men clean? And this this interesting discussion about being kept from women and so on, is uh, it's speaking in terms of the ceremonial law that uh, if if you uh, were engaged in that physical relationship um, with with a woman, you were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean before you came into the the tabernacle to worship and sacrifice and do all those things. You needed to be clean for a certain amount of time and all of that. That's what that's going. What that's what's going on there. I was talking about the vessels. That's speaking of their clothing and everything that was associated with them. They, David is saying they are absolutely clean, ceremonially speaking. So okay, um, that at least was okay. But again, you have this. This uh, this law in the Mosaic economy that only the priests could eat this bread. But take a look at Matthew 12. And this before I, I I don't want to come across that I'm beating up on David too much on this. Only from the standpoint that I don't I don't think he was walking through the whole thought process and necessarily thinking about how this was going to be received by the Lord. He was just thinking about, all right, we need food. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 8, Jesus is being hammered by the Pharisees about uh, the Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. And then Jesus would go on to say, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the, Jesus is acknowledging that, that hunger and dealing with hunger, showing mercy, 
was of greater priority than that law in the Mosaic economy. So, from that standpoint, David's off the hook. But again, I don't think David's thinking about that at the time. I don't think he was careful about this. He once he did something quite right though, and that is that he did go to the proper authority to ask. So that's one in the plus column for him on that particular point. That was wisdom. David is not condemned for this. In fact, David, uh, this isn't the first time that David is going to do something that's generally reserved for the priests. And of all Judah's kings, David's the only one that, to my recollection, um, that performs priestly functions without being judged for it. Which is another reason why many rightly believe that David is is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who is uh, both king and priest but in this particular case David could have been a little bit more careful in how he did this he makes no objection whatsoever he doesn't say well you know that's not he was willing to take it must have been pretty hungry who knows how long it had been since he'd eaten Is he all of the things with Jonathan and so on but again he was just a few hours away from all of these locations so on that score I can't tell you any more than that. The final thing here has to do with your own use of power. And I kind of wrestled with how to talk about this, but in verses 8 through 10, we have this this, uh, part of the event where David asks for a sword or a spear. And the only sword that's there, the only weapon that's there, is the sword of Goliath. It was wrapped up in a cloth. It was behind the ephod, which was used by the high priest to inquire things of the Lord. So the, the placing of that sword behind the ephod, whether it was there to kind of hide it, not make it obvious, or just put that, put that sword with the ephod, kind of like, again, what, why was it there? Why was that sword there? Why wasn't it in, in, at, in Dave, with David's stuff? After all, he was the one who had used it. He was the victor. But Saul's the king. Saul clearly confiscated it, took it for himself as a token of victory over the Philistines. Um, what what is going on with that? Why in the tabernacle? I have a theory, and my theory is, is that Saul put it in the tabernacle because Saul was definitely one of those guys that says, "I'm doing this. I'm doing things according to things so that I can get approval with God." I can definitely see Saul taking that sword, putting it in the tabernacle, putting it with the things that the priest used to uh, find out God's will and as, as a basically, again, a good luck charm, this talisman, a pagan way of thinking. If I have, if I, I've got this token of victory here and this is going to get me in good with God. A very common practice in the ancient Near East would be when you conquered an enemy, you took this, their stuff and you l- went and put it in the in the temples of your own gods. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the Assyrians, they did that too. They cleaned out Jerusalem with all the holy things and they went and put them in their own temples as to show that those other gods were inferior to ours. Similar kind of thinking here, I'm pretty sure. Whether David knew it was there or not, I don't know. 
We don't have any hint from the way that he asks that he knew it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Saul kept it secret from him because he wouldn't want David to go get it. In any case, David reclaiming this sword was an incredible broadside against Saul's reign. Whether David intended it or not, whether he thought through the consequences of taking this sword or not, if he wanted to avoid a conflict, this was not the thing to do. Because by reclaiming that sword, he was saying, I took out Goliath. I'm the rightful king. It was a declaration of war. And Saul, you better believe, Saul knew it. That's the way he would have taken it, whether David intended it or not. David is the rightful king upcoming. In a very real sense, he had the right to hold that sword. He ha- it, it was his to use. But sometimes even when you're right, if you, do, if you go about doing the right thing in the wrong way, uh, it has ramifications and it's not good. This did not help the conflict at all. But it only made it worse. It just escalated it. Now sure, there are times when going head to head in a conflict is necessary to restore a righteous peace eventually. Sometimes you, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to take it to the foe, as it were. Absolutely, there are times to do that. There are times we know from our, the record of our Lord's ministry that he went head to head with the Pharisees, just like we read there in Matthew chapter 12. He didn't, he didn't uh, shy away from talking to them. He went right at them and took, <laughs> took it right to them and put them in their place. But then again, as you read through the Gospels, you see that just as often, he went out of his way to avoid those confrontations. Choosing a different battleground for a different day, according to his own purposes. Now, as the Lord of glory, he he would know how to do that. Do it perfectly. Know when, when, when to fight and when to avoid. And how to deal with it in both cases. We don't have the benefit of his perfect wisdom, do we? So when it comes to conflict, let's be careful not to uh, needlessly be spoiling for a fight or, on the other hand, not to just run away when you need to fight. Having the proper wisdom. Um, Years ago, I was at a conference back east. I was at a, a church in a certain state um, since I'm broadcasting, I'm going to be really vague on the details. But uh, at this at this conference, there was a well-known uh, preacher who was known as kind of a fighting fundamentalist, uh, good man, and uh, would be expected to want to grab up that sword and go for something. And the pastor of the host church got up, and he was of uh, a particular um, national uh, background that's known for being fighters. 
And uh, he said, well, as he was introducing this other man who was the keynote speaker, he said, uh, you know, so-and-so, he's a, he's a fighting fundamentalist, and I'm, I'm uh, of this nationality. And he says, and, uh, and I love a fight. And he was doing this to try to lift, you know, lift up the reputation of the keynote speaker. When he got it, when the keynote speaker got up, he said, "With all, thank you, with all due respect to my brother here, anyone who desires a fight is a fool." You could have heard a pin drop in there. Fighting is uh, can be a addiction. I'm thankful that David, at least in this, had had not uh, uh, gotten to that point where he just wanted to fight. He didn't. Um, I'm thankful that he was not foolish in that way. But sometimes the fight comes to you, and you don't have a choice. And in that, in David's case. The fight was coming to him. Saul was bringing it to him. But David was lighting a, lighting a fire under it and making it a little bit worse in some ways here. Certainly he needed food and certainly he needed some way to defend himself. But at the same time, uh, we need to be cautious and be wise. Wisdom is needed to avoid needlessly escalating the conflict. Not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others around you that may suffer collateral damage from your carelessness. That is going to happen in, the, in this case. This isn't the end of this story. There's more to come. And it's not pretty. It's really, really ugly. In fact. So be careful in conflict. And keep that gauntlet on your hand. Unless there's a really good reason take it off let's pray heavenly father i thank you for this cautionary tale that we have here these these events uh, strange events things that we that we we just don't have all the details here and so it's hard to piece together lord what all was going on in david's mind and and uh and so on but lord we know that you did direct these things they were done in your presence you knew who was there you orchestrated it you brought it about you uh, brought it about you had things that you were setting in motion things that you would be doing down the road through your servant david lord i pray that for our part that you would help us to be wise as we pursue those things that you call us to do in your word let us not be presumptive. Let us not be motivated by fear. Let us be careful how we come into your presence so that we will exercise care in the presence of others and be used by you to bring about your righteous purposes and righteous peace in the hearts of those around us. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do among us.